G'day and welcome to Formula Bums. Today we are previewing the Monaco Grand Prix and with me is Riso and Andy. How are you gentlemen? Going great as usual. It feels like deja vu for me. <laughs> it is. We are recording back-to-back episodes pretty much. We've had one sleep in between. It's a double header this weekend. It is. The next, the next few are double headers. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of work, but it's kind of fun though. It's made me doing the news a little bit more difficult, but I have gathered plenty of news for today. Did you pull it out of your head or did you actually research it? <laughs> Look, we all know you make up stories. So there will be one part of the news that may or may not be 100% factually correct. It's when I started researching Gus and how downforce work. I watched a lot of videos on it. I read a lot of articles and at the end I went, this is how I think it works. <laughs> and I've just kind of, I've just hedged my bets that it's close enough for it to be reality. But um, why don't we start with that point there? I've done some research on how wind and the gusts of wind can affect Formula 1 cars to kind of get to the bottom of what happened with both Charles and Max during the Spanish Grand Prix. Carlos and Max. Carlos and Max. Charles' car just blew up. We have news on that too. We do. But essentially, from what my understanding, my very non-scientific understanding is, every part of these race cars from the chassis, the wings, underneath the floor and the floor is designed to control and modulate the flow of air over the vehicles. As the cars increase in speed, so does the force of the air working on the vehicles. The downforce is so strong on these cars that at about 45 to 70 kilometers an hour, they can actually stick to the roof of a tunnel and drive upside down, theoretically. It'll make the casino section I was going to say, weekend. it's a good idea for Monaco, make them go up the wall. Yep, exactly. I've always said loop-de-loop would fix it. But it's only wind in certain directions that affect that, and it's normally wind straight on that will cause good good effect of the downforce. What was happening at the Spanish Jeep is at turn four, the wind was actually cutting across the rear of the cars. Because the wind was cutting across the back of the vehicles, it was actually affecting the flow of the air. So it was essentially pu- pushing the air from the diffuser, the floor and the wings away from the car, causing the back end to lift. So depressure itself from the natural flow. And because it's such a sweeping fast right-hand corner, when that gust came and blew the good air away, the back of the car deloaded while the front of the car was very, very loaded while it was cutting through the air. And that, and we're talking milliseconds and very, very minimal amounts of data that we don't see, but all the teams have exact pressures of what's going on here. Essentially, the back of the car is lifted up millimeters, destabilizing the whole corner and using the front end, which has got far more downforce as a pivot point. And that's why we saw Carlos have a spin. Max was lucky. We don't know if it was a lesser gust, talent, luck, or whatever it may have been. Probably all three of those things mixed together. But his car, again, deloaded at the rear end and then caused him to just slide on out. It lost all its, I guess, potential in the corner. Because you see all the upgrades that came, or majority of the upgrades that, that came to Barcelona they were increasing the downforce in the rear. So if you increase the downforce and then this gust comes and it acts like a kite in the opposite direction and lifts it a little bit, not talking about yeah, off the ground, but just that pressure. Millimeters. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the suspension isn't as loaded that much. The force isn't as down and you're roaring around quite a quick t- corner. Your back's gone. And yeah, when... Because... I guess one of the victims of when you're designing these cars that are always on the edges, you design them in a wind tunnel that only blows from one direction. And yes, they do put the cars on their sideways and backwards to get data, but it's something you can't control of those gusts. And it's just, 
you will still have a far quicker car if it's only designed to work in one way than if you had mitigating or redundancies put on the car to protect it from that. That's where it kind of falls to the driver's innate skill ability and the team's ability to communicate wind direction and what's happening on the track to prevent those instances from occurring. Yeah. Unfortunately, it got the better of Carlos. And Carlos has also come out in an interview post-race, I think a day, maybe yesterday, He's come out and he's done a big talk with a journalist from F1 and said that I had a really good start in Ferrari because our car was designed in this philosophy. But the new version we've taken in that better support Charles is kind of similar to the Red Bull's very pointy front end. So it's a little bit oversteery than what he's used to and that's causing him to have those mistakes. So what you're saying is if Danny Rick got into a Ferrari, he'd be doing well. Pretty much. And... There's that very, uh, look, it's a very interesting interplay that Carlos's career is dictated by the moves of Daniel. Because <laughs> every time Danny has moved, Carlos has also had to move. And there was a big discussion. When Seb lost his seat at Ferrari and decided to move on, there was a conversation of which driver would move into the Scuderies team. And the two big contenders were Carlos or Danny, because both of them were looking like they had to move. We didn't know that Carlos had to move. That was dictated primarily by Danny picking McLaren over Ferrari. And all the jokes and all the memes were going to Ferrari is clearly a career killer at this point. Their car is nowhere. No one had any faith in Mattia Bonotto at that point to build this team in any form of cohesive direction. So Danny picked McLaren, forcing Carlos to move to Ferrari, which in hindsight, which is always 2020, turned out to be a really good decision. If Danny had picked Ferrari, yes, it does kind of seem like this new Ferrari car would have suited his driving capabilities better than the McLaren one does. Danny Rick is the master of great career moves. Unfortunately, it looks like his legacy is going to be Moving always to shit teams. Always picking the wrong team at the wrong time. Exactly. It's it's heartbreaking as an Aussie. It's a real struggle. I guess he's saving grace is he's such a good personality force on the grid that it's hard not to just enjoy him in any form. Agreed. But yeah, Carlos's quote was the car was too pointy. For him. Now, he didn't say that means too oversteery, but pointy or nose end or front end normally means that the back is more unstable. And that's evident by the spin we saw at Spain. The back end let go. He also locked up the brake somehow. That may have been him attempting to recover the car. It didn't work. He did a full 180 into the gravel and managed to save it from there. Unfortunately, though, he is really struggling to get to terms with this car because he had a crash in the race in Australia, which ended his race. He's also had a crash in Imola's qualifying and in a practice at Miami. And in the Imola race itself. Yeah, but I don't think you can blame that on him. I can. (laughs) He crashed into Danny. Danny was not (laughs) at fault. No, but the numbers are starting to add up. It, It seems like Carlos really does well when there's no room for error. At street circuits, he seems to do a lot better. Which is how he kind of ended the interview. He alluded to the fact that Monaco is one of his strongest performing tracks. He nearly got pole last year. It's only because Charles managed to pull just an incredible lap from nowhere and And, put it on pole. And put it into the wall to save pole. It's not the only time a Ferrari driver (laughs) it's not the only time a Ferrari driver's played silly buggers after Monaco qualifying either. But my point, I guess that's that's the story with Carlos. He is kind of now talking about why he's struggling to get to terms with it. He also mentioned that there's really two things that you can do in this situation. 
either he adapts his style or they adapt the development of the car. Now, the conversation didn't take them down to what they were planning. He, he used, well, it's an issue for me and my team and we're going to keep that confidential of what we're doing to solve this. That's also, a smart thing. Yep. And he also said that he's having to think outside of the box and drive outside of the box. And when they're making, on average, 96 adjustments to the balance of the car per lap, plus changing your style, it does paint a clearer picture of why these struggles are going on for him. It's clearly not an intelligence thing. It's not an effort thing. It's the car and him are matching up perfectly. But we're seeing that all across the grid. We're seeing that with Pierre at AlphaTauri, Danny at McLaren. Uh, I'd also say that possibly Seb and Aston still haven't quite found the perfect match for his style. But to be fair, Seb has struggled since the turbo hybrid switch. No, he's struggled since midway through 2019 when Ferrari had to change their engine back. Yeah, it's a good point. He I was just, leading the championship going into the summer break. It is true. He was still spinning on occasion, though, in practices and things like that. He was. like He was untouchable pre-turbo hybrid. No one, no one could get a look in. Seb at his peak was back then. And I'm not saying he's not talented or anything now, but in those four years where he won back-to-back-to-back-to-back, to back to back to back, no one could get close. But no one could get close to those Red Bulls. Exactly. It was the, I think it was more the car in that situation. Those cars were just undeniably the best car that that team has ever produced. And some of the best sounding cars we've ever had too. They were incredible. So from Alfa Romeo, I've got two, uh, one and a half pieces of news. So Zhou Guan Yu's come out and done an interview essentially saying that he's sad that his rookie year, it's, it's not coming together how he wanted through no real fault of his own. He's had two retirements in two weeks, Miami and Spain. In the interview, he came out and said that they were similar-looking problems, but they're not the same issue. The issue from Spain was the cooling wasn't working effectively, and they made the decision to retire him to protect the power unit, which is sad because he was in contention for points, but if he was stuck in a pack, he was never going to finish with points, and they've managed to stop an engine tearing itself to pieces, which is good. It was a super hot day as well. So incredibly hot. Yeah, you could only see the problems come out of it. Exactly. They did admit, though, Alfa Romeo is a group that we know the symptoms of the problem, and we're all seeing the symptoms of the problem. But they haven't got to the bottom of what's actually causing these unique issues on his car versus Valtteri's, because Valtteri's car has been fine. They're still getting to the bottom of it. It's hard for a junior team like this, uh, where you don't have the brains and the knowledge that some of the big boys do to instantly go, oh, it's probably this. So they're looking at it. Joe was very, very positive, though, saying that in every case where he's retired, he's been in a good position and that if they can get the car working effectively, he's going to be on for points. And I think we're going to see that because you were talking quite... He got he got points on his debut, if I don't... He definitely wrong. did. Yeah, yeah and that was he the retired the next, got, Yeah, and then retired the next race and then... Had the other two. Did he retire in Saudi? I thought he finished 12th in Saudi. Maybe. He's only had the two retirements being Miami and Spain. So he hasn't had another one? I swear there was another one. Just the two. Or maybe it was Bottas in Saudi. It was Bottas okay, in yep, Saudi. Yep, yep. It was Danny Rick, then Bottas, then Alonso, I believe, that all retired around the same point. Speaking of Bottas, he also has come out and said that the upgrades they bought to the vehicle have been very effective, and we saw that. Also, Monaco... He's saying that Monaco is a track that will suit this Alfa Romeo incredibly well. So if he can put together a really good lap on qualifying, he's probably going to be in for a good finish. 
He did me dirty last week. Well, his team did me dirty last week, so I don't know if I'm going to put him back in my top five. Oh, I think I put him in my top uh. five. Bad news for Charles, though. They have said that the MGUH and the Turbo have eaten themselves in that engine blow-up, and they've been completely destroyed, which means each, each driver is allowed to have three engines a year. He's already lost one now. Well, no, he's lost the Turbo and the MGUH. Yes. From one. Those components, you still only get the three. I know. But the way you worded it, it sounded like you just get one internal combustion. No. No. The, the way you worded it made it oh, seem right. Like yeah. Well, not necessarily. So you get three complete engines, but yes. their parts are viewed as a whole. So even if he brings in extra turbos and stuff, more than the allotted three, you get a 10-place grid penalty if you crack open the fourth engine. So you might as well bring in a whole new engine as well. That Yeah, yeah pretty much. Pretty so, much. So now he'll probably take one similar to Alonso has. He'll take one when he sees an opportunity to do it, I reckon. And, you know, depending... You know his record at Monaco. I know it's his home race, but it wouldn't be a crazy idea to be like, look, buddy, chances are you're not going to finish <laughs> this. Let's just take the penalty now. But they're not going to. No. Not no. with not with what they stand to gain at Monaco. Could it be Baku with the big straights? No, I reckon it'll be one similar to, like, an Austria or one later in the year, like a Mexico or something. Somewhere there's going to be passes and also where you can kind of see the championship shaping out a little bit more it'd be a big it'd be it's a massive points play mm-hmm. as well yeah. uh look, i would look at what lewis did last year exactly lewis took a grid penalty at brazil race to first wasn't it first yeah i think that's when he started his run towards the end of wins yeah he's, he's raced from the back of the grid right to the start like right to front and he had a fresh engine for the rest of the season pretty much which it Gave him an advantage over Max. Who Max, I don't think he had any big reliability issues last year. It was more just sort of, he took got it, to the time, time to took, switch it. He took the penalty in Russia, I believe. That's when he did, yeah. Yeah, he took the penalty in Russia and he did massive damage limitations because he was managed to get himself to second. I remember yep. that. And it was one of the funniest, Lewis hopping out of the car, having won the race, turning around and seeing Max pull up in second and it was... Almost akin to like arrested development, like the freeze frame stopped and he was like, You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> um and then we didn't have a cool room then, so we didn't get to see him have chat. We've got the cool room now, and that's awesome. The cool down room. I love the cool down room. It's phenomenal. But I did want to have a little a bit of a tech talk on what the MGUH is, because it's not something that's very standard in production vehicles. The MGUK is found in pretty much every hybrid vehicle which takes heat from the braking and the wheels spinning, uses it to charge up the battery. The MGUH is what's classed as an E-turbo. So it takes heat and exhaust from the turbo and uses that to unwind its own little engine and then funnel that back into pre-charge the turbo at low revs so they get more boost off it. Funny thing about that is, come 2026, the MGUH is no longer a component in an F1 engine. Is that because you think they're moving to something else? No, that was part of the precursor to get portionality and they didn't want that in there. It only exists in F1 and exactly. it's incredibly fiddly. Getting rid of it allows more engine companies to come in. Yeah, and we have so much good, like Toyota does hybrids. Pretty much every Toyota you see on the road these days has an MGUK in it, which is under braking. It, it absorbs the energy and the kinetic stress, and uses that to charge up the electric battery. The MGUH is unique to Formula 1. 
and doesn't by now we've had it for what eight since, nine years since the start of turbo hybrid era. If it was going to make it to road manufactured vehicles, you'd start seeing now. Clearly, it's a very very fiddly piece of technology. And it only really applies to these F1 engines. It doesn't really apply to a road car or a performance car. No, it's not needed. Not with the developments we're seeing in road vehicle manufacturing that's kind of getting more power cheaper. Yeah, pretty much. I have saved the biggest piece of news to last. It's quite all-encompassing and it's going to be a bit of a money talk. So, Christian Horner has come out and really, really stirred up the community by saying that if this current budget cap continues the way it is, teams aren't going to be able to make the last four races of the year. Continue by decreasing it because they've decreased it every year and they're planning to decrease it? Not necessarily. They have decreased it, but that was due to COVID regulations. The original budget cap was supposed to be $175 million. They dropped that to 140 for this year. That was a way to keep the younger teams or the, the poorer junior teams involved in the sport. That was saying like, look, we it's not really fair if these other teams can spend all this money while we can't even get our business to that level. There are teams today that still aren't even spending the 140 million. Yeah, that aren't spending the 145 million. I heard it was going down to 135. They were talking about it. Where it's gotten interesting is, since Horner's come out and stated that, Otmar from Alpine has come out and said, well, that's essentially a you problem, mate. We have forecasted that into our budget. You need to look at your spending practices. Horner's actually said, I'm not wanting it to increase, but I'm wanting there to be an inflation adjustment in it. And part of his evidence that he's put in for is that the cost of freight has quadrupled in certain areas around the world, and that's not being accounted for in the current cap. Otmar has still gone out and said, well, mate, just get better with your money. We're doing it. We have full-time F1 teams who aren't even spending your limited cash, like your cap, and they're still showing up to every single race. So you really need to figure it out. Didn't Otmar say that it would help his team if teams didn't compete either? Oh, he did He did fire a very, very good shot back by essentially saying, well, if you're not there for the last four races, things are looking up for us, aren't they, boys? <laughs> <laughs> Also with the budget cap, car development cost is capped at $20 million of that. So you're allowed to spend $20 million designing new parts, testing and implementing them on your car. That was a number we've been searching for for a little while. It's been announced. So how much of that is Aston spent to build a whole new car? A bit. Surely it's got to be 5 or $6 million for the changes they've brought in. Surely. Surely it's more like 15 It could be running out for them. They might be doing that if we can just get a car that is competitive, let's spend all our money on in the first eight weeks and kind of do what Haas did, go, well, we're not spending any more. We're just going to ride this year out and come back stronger again next year. Mm. Hopefully Stroll doesn't crash anymore. Well, yeah. It's also a big issue that Williams suffers from because they don't also reach the cap. I don't know if Haas is either. Interestingly enough, last month, the team sat down with the FIA and Liberty Media and had a discussion around adjusting the cost cap. Mercedes, McLaren, Ferrari, and Red Bull all voted for uh, an adjustment, an inflation adjustment to be added into the budget. Inflation adjustment kind of makes sense. It Going, does kind of make sense. It forward. makes a lot of sense, to be honest. However, Alfa Romeo, Haas, Williams, and Alpines voted against an inflation adjustment, and they've said in their evidence that 
since we're not even spending the cat, this is just giving them an unfair advantage because they used to be able to spend whatever they wanted. And Mercedes was spending hundreds of millions of dollars. It was like $400 million, wasn't it, for Mercedes? At one point, yeah. So it's a big tip for Tat. The teams that aren't spending as much money are saying, well, we can make it work. They're going to have to make sacrifices, and that's what they want. And the bigger teams are saying, well, I'm sorry that you're bad at business and we have all this money. Why aren't we allowed to spend it? Where are both your heads at on it? I think inflation does make sense. Inflation makes perfect sense. The whole increasing it, it, it is the supposed to be the best motorsport in the world. And you don't want any impediment in that by cost cap in a way. But then you're not going to have other teams competing. And it's hard to say like Mercedes is such a big brand making cars with huge profits. They can just shovel money in. Red Bull is one of the biggest brands in the world. Just can shovel money into it. So it's hard to see it increasing if the competition goes down. So it's a bit what's going to be better for the sport and the competition, more money for more innovation or more competitors for more innovation. And I guess the question boils down to, is this more money for everyone guaranteed? And it's not really, is it? No. Not with the fact that some teams aren't hitting that cap. It is really more money for those who have it sitting there in the bank that they can funnel into it. I think Aston Martin also has very deep pockets. I just think Stroll's playing a bit of a game here with it too. I think so too. I think... Instead of increasing the whole budget cap itself to due to inflation, let's increase the the freight cap. Yeah, or take that take that out. Take that out. Essentially say, well, if if freight's the only thing that's bothering you, Red Bull, then you can spend whatever you want on freight. Yeah, we'll take freight out of it. And if that offends the other teams, I'm sure the FIA have enough money in their pockets, Liberty Media have enough money in their pockets. To donate them some freight money. Yeah, it's interesting because the the general assumption is is that the cars are the most expensive aspect. But looking at the numbers we have in front of us, twenty million is nothing compared to the whole of the of the team budget of one hundred and forty five million. I don't see a big adjustment unless it is just that inflation ticket adjustment actually affecting the sport in any level of parity. It is just kind of opening the door to what we had a few years ago of why is Mercedes so far out in front? Well, they've put more money towards it. Why is Red Bull in second? Well, they put just as much money in as Mercedes, but they just haven't quite got it right yet, which led to Max's World Championship. They just threw everything they had at it for that year when they were allowed to, and they managed to develop the car there. And Mercedes neglected to develop the car, but they came out saying that, well, what we think is strong enough, that will hold us there, and it nearly was. Very nearly was. It is an insane amount of money we're talking about, though, and I can't imagine managing a team knowing your competitors have unlimited resources. So, I don't know. I kind of like the idea of the cost cap. I like the idea of the cost cap as well. I'm just saying, like, inflation is a it's an issue in this world. Like, we take our own country, for example. Under the previous regime, the inflation rate blew out astronomically while our wages did not increase at all. No, they were exponentially unlinked. Yeah, so I, I believe the, the the wage rise was 2.4%. I can't remember the inflation rate, but it was well over. If you take that normal life, like you, all of a sudden you can't afford to buy fuel for your car, you can't afford to pay rent for your house, can't afford food. Same in F1. If you've got to donate all your money to freight, 
How are you meant to develop your car? Develop the car, pay for marketing, pay for catering. Pay for staff. Yeah, staff, staff. would be a big one. And what we see at the racetrack is only a very small portion of the true size of the teams. That whole discussion about factories, they have hundreds of employees in numerous facilities all across the world. On top of that too, you've got research and development of not only for your car, but also for the future of the sport. They're always looking forward at new advantages. We don't know how much money it cost Mercedes to develop DAS. That was banned was, in a week. Yeah. It was inconsequential how much it costs. It was just a waste of money. It it did turn out to be a waste of money unless unless they have found a way to kind of automate that, put that in Mercedes road cars, and then they could market them saying that this car will modulate its tire toe in a minimal way, and that will save you X amount on tires. And that's really what we see from F1. Car hybridization didn't really become commercial until F1 found a way to make it very, very easy to do with the MGUK system. Yeah. Since 2014, we've seen such an increase in hybrid vehicles that they've become, off the production line, essentially standard. Basically. And they also, the Kerr system as well, that's been developed into hybrids as well. And that's been in the system since, what, 20, 2009? It is. And can you explain what the Kerrs is? No, I can't. What is the Kerrs? I know it's a kinetic <laughs> energy system recovery. It's That's sim- the breaking one, isn't it? Yeah, it's similar to the MGUK. And gentlemen, I think that's everything I have from the news. A lot of what I found online, though, was just kind of the races breaking down their Barcelona performance. And I didn't think that was kind of relevant looking forward. Everything I found hopefully explains some of what was unexplained that we saw at Barcelona. And then also looking at F1 as a whole instead of just kind of focusing on the racing a little bit of an update every now and then won't hurt no definitely not and I, I think the cost cap will predict some of the future and that's uh, if red bull can't do the last four races <laughs> it would be insane to see a grid of 11 12 cars rock up hey imagine max losing the championship because his team can't afford to go to the race it'd be crazy or him just driving there <laughs> 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 all right shall we move on to the race in question Andy, why don't you take us away with some track facts, my friend? Okay, so round seven is held in Monaco at the Circuit de Monaco. Basically, it's just a fucking. It's around the street of Monaco. It's a pretty very great, small place. Very very small sp- principality. Yeah, small streets. It was uh, I was watching some replays. It is. There's not going to be much passing this weekend. No, but it's crazy driving. Yes. So anyway, the track is three point three four kilometers long. Illegal. It's not illegal. <laughs> Due to my other facts. Uh, the lap record is a 112.9 held by Sir Lewis Hamilton. There's 78 laps in the race. The first Grand Prix was held in 1950. The first race was held in 1929. I found that one too. Uh, 19 turns and Pirelli is issuing the C3, the C4 and the C5 tyres this weekend. The Lowe's hairpin is the slowest corner in the F1 calendar at 48 kilometres. That's about it. It sucks that fucking corner too. Is that the one going down the hill around? Yep. Yes. End? Okay. It's yeah. like a roundabout. Yeah. It's shocking, and they have it's, to they have to have like an like an axle thing on the car that allows them to actually get around the corner. People still try overtake on it. I've I've noticed from the replays. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, these drivers are crazy around Monaco. Yeah. It's yeah. They really. Do or die. I reckon there's going to be a crash this weekend. There's, I think there's yeah, Charles is in the race. <laughs> <laughs> Charles is in the race. Latifi's in the race. Stroll's in the race. Oh, there's Mick's in the race. Mick's it, always good for a crash every now and then too. 
because they've been racing there for so long, I guess the big story of Monaco that we kind of have to tell people, especially if you're new to the sport, is F1 cars now are larger than they've ever been. They're about two meters by five meters. It's the size of a Ford Territory. They're huge. And the streets are the size of a little back alley. They are. But back in the day, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, the cars were either very, very long and skinny or very short and skinny. They were maxing out at like 1.5 metres wide by about 3 metres long. And even 1.5 metres wide is just a bit too much to pass by. So the reason why Monaco does have that weird reputation is it is such a historic track. They've been racing there since before F1 was invented. It's, co- it's considered the crown jewel. It's one of the crown jewels of worldwide motorsport. Daytona 500 is another one. That's, they, co- that's the triple crown. The triple crown. The triple crown is the Le Mans 24-hour, the Indy 500, and the Monaco GP. I would like to see Bathurst on the quadruple <laughs> crown. But what are you talking about? Bathurst is sick. You watch Bathurst? I watch, yeah, I've seen it. I just don't know if it's a, 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 a jewel to be putting on a crown. It, it's an it's a effort. Has it been around since the it's been around 1920s? For a long time. No. <laughs> but yeah, the cars these days are so large that it really limits the capabilities of the track. Yeah. The reason we keep it around is it is just so historic and it's the only race course that doesn't pay a fee to the FIA, to Liberty Media to race there. Every other course pays money to be on the calendar. Monaco's the only one that's there for free. It has the pool. It does have all that pomp and flair to it. The racing, though, however, just isn't as good as it used to be anymore. It's still a very good spectacle, though. The qualifying should be something to be seen. The qualifying is always the best bit at Monaco because they get a relatively clear track where they're all allowed and they do all kind of work together to give everybody the opportunity to get out and put a good lap in. The pit stops are also something funny. It's comes out and misses the first corner. It does. It cuts out a good portion of the track, but that pit stop area hasn't always been there. They used to do it down the side of the main straight, and I think it was only in the 90s that they built a designated pit box area for the I track. Think, I think it was 2000s, actually. Even that recent? Yeah. I think there's been two redesigns. There's been a few redesigns, but there's not much you can redesign around there. There have been very minimal changes. Yeah. The track is the most similar to its that original act. state. Yeah, and I think also Monza, since they got rid of the banking curbs, hasn't changed since that innovation either. No, I don't believe so. And so they're the two most like close to the originals that we have left on the track. Yeah. But, and I don't want this to like cause issues with anyone, I don't know if that's a reason to keep it there. Just because it's the same as it's always been, Yes, the track is, but the sport isn't, the cars aren't, the drivers aren't, and what we're looking for in this sport, that's all changed. Yeah, but in saying that, this is, it's the crown jewel F1. This is the race that every driver looks forward to. No matter how shit the racing is, it's survival mode out there. Yeah, and that's what I noticed doing my research. It is survival mode. And you, in the in the, the first race, is in the 1950. They did a hundred laps. <laughs> it went for th- over three hours, and that but that's like pre-power steering. That's, yep. Yeah, and that that's was manual gear shifting. And the, out of the twenty-one drivers that raced the nineteen fifty Grand Prix, um, only ten would complete the first lap, 
and seven finished the whole race. Do we know how many originally started? 21. Damn. That was back when there was more. There was. That's a NASCAR style finish right there. <laughs> Over three quarters of the field not finishing. I have some interesting facts about Monaco. I've also gone back into the history books to find some good things too. So I have Jim Clark, who is a two-time world champion and tragically lost his life in the sport. But that was also back in the days where a lot of people were getting seriously injured or did pass away during the races. He has claimed four poles and didn't convert a single one of them to a win. So he has one of the worst records at the track. I believe that two drivers have ended up in the water. Two drivers. Two drivers have crashed off the track and into the marina. I didn't write down who they were. It was both significantly in the past. It's no one who's modern. But yeah, two drivers managed to punt their car over the barrier and into the water. But this was also back when I think seatbelts were just very they were guidelines. <laughs> so it was, you know, like if if a modern car was to go over the edge into the water, which it's impossible to, but I mean, it'd it be did, spectacular. Yeah, but and Latifi would drown. Yeah, he would because the drivers can't put on or take off, like they can't put on their seatbelts themselves, and taking them off takes a little bit of effort. It's not a one-button push. We saw with Roman getting trapped in his car mm-hmm. how long it took him to get the seatbelts off. So I'm glad they've done it. I think it's like 34. They've got to be able to get out in 18 seconds. 18 seconds. They have to be able to, to even qualify for the super license. I believe they have to prove they can get out of that car in 18 seconds. It's still, still an time. eternity, yeah. It's an eternity when something's gone seriously wrong. And then that's not even thinking that they've just gone through 20 G-forces. And plus. They could be, <laughs> yeah, plus. they could be dazed. What we've seen in the last two years, two 55-plus G-force crashes. I don't think we'll see a 55-plus G-force at Monaco, though. I hope not. I hope we don't see any of those. They're I mean, they can't, get, they can't get up to speed. The only place they could is on the f- front straight into Sandovot. It's true. These cars are slower. I don't know if you guys have picked up watching the on-screen graphics when we're watching these cars go down the straight. They have lost about 20 clicks. Yeah, it, it was evident with how slow they were going around Barcelona. It is true, but it's now nice to see on the broadcast with the um, telemetry that, you know, they have knocked off a bunch of speed, but it's made the sport better, inevitably better. Well, now they can pass. Another thing I kind of want to bring up about Monaco is 2006. So... Michael Schumacher was racing for Ferrari at the time and he put together the fastest lap, got on pole and then had issues. And I say that with air quotes because the stewards got involved and they did not see it the same way good old Michael did. He got the pole lap and at the very first corner, he pulled his car over right in the middle of the road, hopped out of it and walked away. Just parked it on the side of the road. Causing a red flag, meaning no one else could complete their lap and they ended qualifying. Prevented. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He was then summoned to the stewards. I didn't read what his defense was, but it was something along the lines of the car was overheated or the gearbox broke and I couldn't drive it anywhere. And the stewards went, well, we have your car in the sheds right now and it's fine. So you're starting from the back. But it was an interesting thing. I just found it very interesting that it is such a qualifying heavy track that it does make the drivers do some weird things on occasion. Like we saw Charles crash last year. Yeah, he puts it on pole, then crashes it. Crashes it. To save pole and then doesn't even get to start the race because the damage was so heavy. Yeah. So in hindsight, I think Charles genuinely did crash because he couldn't start the race. And he 
waited about five minutes <laughs> until he crashed it again. You got, you got the fastest. Yeah, it was lane. on the second the second run when everyone else was going. Oh. Like with two minutes to go on qualifying, so the red flag had come out, so the qualifying could not be restarted. Yeah, but if you think you just put it on pole, you'd be like, like, oh, Schumacher just do it straight away. Yeah, so yeah, but no, if he no if else. he did that, the session would have been restarted. That because yeah, there would have been oh, enough yeah. time. So the reason both Mick and well, the what reason Mick did it, it was Michael. there wasn't Michael. There wasn't enough time left on the clock for them yeah. to do an outlap and a hot lap. So yeah. if, if that's the case in a session, there's not enough time to go out. They don't extend the sessions because of all the support races or the contracts they have involved. They and just the go, time. that's it. The session's done. And time and lighting and stuff because there's not, no lighting around Monaco. It's true. It is a daytime race. Mm-hmm. At nighttime, that would look spectacular as well though. But there's no need. There's no need there. The and race is prestigious enough as it is. And it does. Nighttime races do add their own danger. Yep. Another interesting fact I have is that McLaren is the most successful manufacturer to race at Monaco. They won more than anybody else. It's significant too, isn't it? It's like 15 for them and like 10 for the next one. Yeah, 10 and then I think it goes 8, 5, 5, 5, 5 and 4. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it that stat doesn't give me much confidence. They haven't won there <laughs> in recent memory. This is They have led the most laps around there though. It was like 870-something they've led around the streets of Monaco. Wow. As a constructor, which is huge considering Michael led 430-something around the streets of Monaco. Michael did very well then when he was there. Who was the most successful driver there? Ayrton. Ayrton. Yeah. Senna. And then, and you know, he probably would have extended that. He would have. I think it was, yeah, just uh, weeks before. He, that's when he passed away at Imola. It was. It was Imola, yeah. Emily's got a bit of a sad past when it comes to that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think looking up, it was pretty sad. Some of the crashes, also, there was one death. I think there was only one death at Monaco. Um, who was? Yeah, I was gonna say you'd you'd have a bunch of shit for this race. So it's your turn to talk. No, this is all good. Oh yeah, um, there was only one death there, I believe, and it's Lorenzo Bandini. In 1967. And um, that was back when the cars were essentially an engine with a bit of an alfoil wrapped around them and no seatbelts. They used to wear goggles, no helmets. Oh, no, 60s, they would have had helmets. Yeah, I think... Yeah, um, yeah leather helmets, it. right? <laughs> <laughs> they look like old school aviators back in the day. Yep. Big steering wheels. Um, There was another crash with Brundle, one of my favourite of the Sky News cast. Brundle binned it. He binned it in 1984 was knocked out and couldn't remember what was going on. Got back to the pits. Like, he got knocked out. They were yanking on his helmet. He told him to get lost by next saw. Next thing is remember, he's in the pits. And they're like, do you want to take the spare car out? He's like, might as well. Took the spare car out and kept racing. Wouldn't qualify. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> fucked. And then race the next day. Wouldn't be able to do that now. You'd be sent for HIA. No, oh, yeah. definitely. There was one of them there, but then, yeah, he said he was still getting checked. He was all right. His arm's a bit sore. Oh, and my neck's a bit sore. But that's when there was no halo as well, and the car's turned on its side, and he's pretty much on his head with the car, and they're trying to tip the car over, tip the car over. Yeah, to get him was, out. Yeah, to get him out, and then they wouldn't be yanking on anyone's head these days, but... Wow. Yeah, I'll tell crazy. you what. I don't, like... Because I know you just kind of watch these guys sit in the car, but... It really does speak to like one the level of risk they take, and also two the level of fitness and insane strength they have to cop 
a massive crash like that, wake up, not remember where you are or what you're doing, but still go, yeah, I'll get in the car and go for a race. Maybe that makes it easier than not knowing what you just went through, being <laughs> like, well, this is technically the first time I've driven this weekend, so I'm feeling quite good, thank you very much. Might explain all the missing brain cells when he commentates. <laughs> Brundle's normally pretty good, though. Sometimes he flubs a bit. He does a little bit. Anyone else have any interesting facts? Um, I did a little scan over the last 20 races, so that's until 2001, yep. and it does include 2020. Um. There has been 71 crashes. Wow. And then that doesn't include all the DNFs. So there's other brakes or engine or oil spills. And retirements. Retirement. And yeah, all the other retirements. As this crash is an incident or a collision. And so is that only in racing or is that in racing and practice? That's just the race. 71. 71. That's three and a half per race on average. <laughs> So and we Latifi, Stroll, Stroll Charles. Charles. We have our three. <laughs> yes. And with, with last year, there was none. The year before, or 2019, there was one. 2018, there was two. Can I guess? So we're 2019 was Charles? 2019 was Charles, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then 2018 was, was Charles. Was also Charles. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, He's never finished a race at his home ground. No, not in F1. No. I think in his junior cruise, he's done well there. I wouldn't know. He hasn't done it outside the racing either with the crash the other day. Oh, yeah. He'd been to... Oh, that was just practice for this weekend's uh, <laughs> finale. We're, are we predicting he's going to crash this week? Oh, we'll get to that later. I Yeah, we shall. We shall get to that later. I have some previous winners. So, it's gone Max, no one because they cancelled it last year due to COVID. 2020, they cancelled it. You oh, made. that's right. Yeah, last year was done at reduced capacity. Yeah, they four, only had... 4,500 or is it 7,000? 7,500 7, per day. I knew it was one of those numbers. Uh, 20, yeah, was cancelled. 19 was Hamilton. 18 was Daniel Ricciardo. Ooh, fantastic win. S- yeah, that was when he had engine issues and had to defend the whole time yep. and just hold him off. 17 was Seb. 16th was Hamilton. 15th was Nico. And 14th was Nico. I looked up that 2016. The highlights on YouTube are abysmal. They're like some kind of chopped together... A- Behind music doesn't like it's not <laughs> race footage. It's just like all thingos. But Danny Rick was winning that race. Comes into the pits, gets yep. called to get into the pits. They take his wheels off, and the pit crew doesn't have any wheels ready for him. Absolute yeah. massive blunder by Red Bull. And it was a crazy, like young Danny Rick, little dick, <laughs> just no smile, just upset, just going after Imola. I don't know what happened to Imola. But after Imola... It wasn't Imola. Pardon? It wasn't Imola. No, 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 no. Something happened at Imola. Yeah. No, no, no. But they didn't race at Imola that year. There was another race where the pit let him down. And he was was a sad Danny Rick. I've never really seen that side. Sad dick Danny Rick. Yeah. You have an interesting fact about Seb, though. Yes. His performances at Monaco. Every time Seb has finished at Monaco, Seb has finished in the top five. And he's only ever DNF twice. Do you... See that happening this year? Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> the Green Bulls do not have wings. Not at Monaco. Not anywhere, but probably not at Monaco. So it was either Australia, Bahrain, China, Russia, or Spain. Those were the five races before Monaco that year. I know that was the year he had a huge amount of issues with Red Bull making mistakes. I think it was the the biggest one was the Monaco one, though, because they talked about that during Drive to Survive Season 1. 
Well, the, yeah, there was no one there. It was a crazy. They called him into the pits, and there was no fucking tires. It was ridiculous. And I don't know where they pull more pit crew out from because they, like they all just like sort of run out from the garage. Like, yeah. holy fuck, the cars in. We should be doing. Yeah, we should already be changing the tires. Christo, Christopher Horner was Christian. <laughs> Christian. <laughs> Christian Horner was. What's Dave call him? Wingy Spice. Wingy Spice. Oh, that's because he used to date Ginger Spice. Oh, he's married to her. Married to, married to oh, Ginger Spice. Oh, Google was a bit unsure. No, they, they, they're fucking married. They're still together. There we go. He was walking with her to the Miami podium. Monaco used to be a safe haven for wealthy cigarette manufacturers after the war. Found that out. That's why it's kind of boomed into... Yeah, it's why half the drivers live there. They don't have to pay tax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw one website saying that it was close to all the circuits. Did you know the last two races before the circuits shut down before World War II were won by Nazis? No. <laughs> no, no, I was checking previous winners and I was looking back in the pre-war ones and yeah, you see um, going up to the war and it's like uh, race not run because of World War Two. Nazi, Nazi. Damn. Damn. That, I imagine they're just Germans that raced it but the fact that the Nazi flag was the one they used for it. True. Oh, true. True. That's not know. ideal. It is. Uh, well, anyway. That anyway. gap at World War Two really sorted that shit out, didn't it? <laughs> 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 anyway. Shall we move on to from the past, Randy? We should. All right. Take us away, mate. What race are we looking at? I've, I delved into the books here. I've gone through my memory, and I remember there was a particular race in the mid-90s that is absolutely famous. And it's the 1996 Monaco Grand Prix. Wet weather start. Uh, 20. Oh, I need to figure out how many race starters there were. It would have been like 26, 24. I would have loved There was 22 starters. That was close. Three finished. Oh, that's all. Seven classified. No, six classified, sorry. Seven qualified? No, 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 no. Classified. No. Classified at the end of the race because they crashed just before the end of the race. So you don't need to finish the race to be classified as competing in it. You need to finish... I no. think it's like 80%. Yep. Oh, okay. I did anyway, one of the... Yeah. Because then it gets attached to your record. If you don't classify, you yep. get... I got you. Marked. I'd love to see a wet, wet Monaco this weekend, to be honest. I would Great, too. Yeah. Throw it in. Because, yeah, the race started wet tyres. Uh, the opening lap was quite spectacular because not only did Supermax's dad put it in the wall, but so did Mick's dad. So two dads. <laughs> two dad. The only two dads in the race because I don't think uh, Magnussen's dad was racing. Did, was Magnussen's dad a racer he, as he well? He raced in um, Formula 1 for a bit too. He what wasn't about that great. Science's dad. Did he race? No, he, no, he, he was a rally. Oh. He's so... He is insane on anything that's not a track. He's won the Dakar before. He's won the World Rallycross before. Not World Rallycross, World Rally Championship before. He's now competing in Extreme E and doing very well there. They call him El Matador. They call him the Bull. <laughs> um, very good rally driver. But yeah, incredible. No. What, what about um Nico's dad? Was Kiki racing? No, Kiki was in the 70s. Was he? Yes. Is that old? He's that old. Damn. Anyway. So, yeah, the two dads that drove in it, but also another famous man in the paddock. Johnny Herbert was in the race. Uncle Johnny. Uncle Johnny was in the race. Yux Villeneuve was in the race. John Alesi, Damon Hill, Martin Brundle race for Jordan. Yeah, I bet he remembers that one. I bet he does too. Did Ruben? Finish? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, there was only three of them. And it was the podium. 
obviously. <laughs> how how shit would it be? It's like, look, you're classified, but technically you're classified fourth and there's only two dudes up top. <laughs> anyway, so the race marred with controversy. Well, not really. So Damon Hill basically led most of the laps until his Williams gave out, <laughs> <laughs> which led Olivier Panis into the lead. It's and a name I'll, you don't hear often. He is. He raced for like 15 years. He only ever won one race, and it was this one. <laughs> <laughs> and he was also the last French winner up until 2020 when Pierre Gasly passed the line and won the Monza Grand Prix. Nice. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. Who was who? Are, do you have who else was on the podium? I do. So David Coulthard came nice, second yep. in his Goal. first year in McLaren. What a chin! What a chin! And Johnny Herbert, the other finisher. 37 seconds behind the race leader. Well, my assumption is that once you go, well, there's only three of you left, it's like, well, I'm just, it's a guaranteed podium, right? I'm just going to go around this course at 60Ks an hour and just get to the end. Well, no, because his teammate retired on the lap before and was ahead of him. Damn, okay. And he retired in the pits. Also, uh, Mika Salo, Mika Hakkinen, and Eddie Irwine all crashed on lap 70, like one, one after the other. They all ran into each other. That's right. That's down the bottom near the marina, isn't it? Yep. One went into the wall and then they're like, oh no, he's crashed. That was back when we had that commentator who had a ridiculously high-pitched British voice, wasn't it? Uh, Murray Walker. Yeah. The late, great Murray Walker. Uh, Rubens also crashed out. Eddie Irvine crashed into the wall. Mickey ha- oh yeah, I've talked about them. Jacques Villeneuve put it in the wall trying to get past someone. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at qualifying. That's why that didn't make sense. Yeah, how Berger had an engine uh, gearbox failure. Just looking for famous names. Oh, Rubens Ballarichello spun off. And definitely would have cleaned up a wall. Yep, and one of the cars didn't even start because it crashed in the warm-up. <laughs> yeah. Interesting to see the tw- the 2018 race with Leclerc, him young, hothead, trying to overtake wherever he could. Which doesn't really exist on Monaco. No, there's nowhere to overtake. It, basically, the only place I can think of passing is Sandovot. But as the old saying goes, keep calm and no heroics into Sandovot. Yeah, it's dangerous there. Yeah. Do you reckon there's going to uh, like some kind of... There's definitely going to be an incident. If they're battling... Look, I mean... Like all the footage... They're a lot older now, but all the footage I've seen of Max and Charles... It's he, just here's my prediction. Head. Here's my prediction. Max is going to get pole. Charles is going to be second. And Max is going to lead most of the race. Charles is going to see the sliver of opportunity coming out of Raskaz onto the main straight. He's like, I'm going to get him at Sandovot. He's going to go in and he's going to break really hard into Sandovot for Max to put it into the wall with him. Run up Max's side, into the wall, both of them out. And then they have a punch on in the in the pit lane. <laughs> Max is always good for a bit of a fisty cuff every now and then. I mean, that'd be a sick finish to the race. Yeah, but then... I guess and then Danny Rick comes around and goes, he gets the win. <laughs> <laughs> the most unrealistic part about that is you're thinking McLaren's going to be in third. Hey, Lando could be. If he puts on a good quality lap... It's true. However, they were saying that he hasn't fully recovered from tonsillitis. It looks like it's hanging around a little bit for him. Like It'd take a little bit. Yeah. To fully, I don't, it's, it would be so hard to drive a F1 car. You'd have to be... Nearly 100%. And after a double-header, too, this is going to suck for him. Yeah. Well, my first note in what I expect to happen is that the the race will really be decided in qualifying and that the two top contenders are Max and Charles. Oh, definitely. 
it's undeniably what's going to happen. That, and if they take each other out, we will probably see Mercedes victory because I think George and Lewis, with the upgrades they bought, they'll be with right. Lewis's skill around this track and what he's capable of here, especially it being a qualifying thing. And we saw how good uh, Russell was at defending. If they put together two good laps, I think they're both going to be up there in the uh, contention for it as well. Even the starting grid is pretty hairy. Trying to, or I guess, just trying to get through Sandovot's probably the main thing on the starting lap. Get through the chaos of turn one, and then just slot yourself in wine and just stay patient. That was one thing I, I was reading a lot and listening to a lot before this. Everyone said you've got to be patient on the streets of Monaco. It's a survival game. It's not a run and pass game. What else do you think will happen, boys? Charles is going to put it in the wall. He's not finishing. You're saying sh- you don't think I don't think Charles will finish. I think he's going to make the mistake. I Look, as much as it is fun and stuff to joke about him not finishing, I think with knowing his previous record and the position he's in at Ferrari, that the discussion in that camp this week will be, no matter where you are, bring it home from there. Because he, you, we know he's going to be in the top five with the pace he has in that qualifying. I think the discussion will be, mate, if you're third, stay in third. If you're fourth, stay in fourth. Just bring, bring it home. home. One, for your own reputation and that kind of like getting that monkey off your back of finishing. And after Imola, you'd be like, he was kicking himself trying to fight for a position and then losing five five of them, I think. Yeah. And we genuinely like, we have seen a different Charles this year. We have. So, I mean, if anyone's not going to finish because of an, a silly mistake, he he's the one with the most probability. But I think the team and Matia knowing that leading into this, also with the points they've bled the last couple of weeks with Carlos making mistakes and Charles this week at Spain, which was a guaranteed win. The discussion will be, it doesn't matter what the point is. You just need to get some points here and bring it home because there isn't anywhere to overtake. Yes, these cars this year are designed for better overtaking, but Monaco isn't. And Monaco doesn't allow it. He's never been designed to pass on. I want to talk about Haas, though. They've got some really good qualifying pace. That's where their strength's been right this year. They always sort of fall off either through incident or just bad strategy. What do you guys reckon about two Haas's finishing in the points this weekend? I mean, if they can replicate the double Q3, there's no doubt they could potentially do it. I mean, K-Mag, we know, is probably going to be in Q3. It's Mick that I'm worried about. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. Just his confidence in going around that track. It would be... You'd need to have your head wrapped around the whole thing to wanting to floor it. And some of the other drivers, Alonso, uh, yep. Vettel... Danny. Danny. They've driven that. They've Some have won that. So Everyone you, you mentioned there has won the race. Yeah, so you're thinking they have their heads wrapped around it so they know what they're doing. It's true. It's true. I do think this will be one of Haas' strongest weekends regardless, though. I think so. I also think with the pace that Valtteri has and how well he's doing, I I, I know it's going to sound weird, but I can see a top five coming for Valtteri this weekend as well in that Alfa Romeo, which will be such a victory for that team. He just needs the pit stop to go right. Which he, I think they will because Monaco... Are you just commenting on last year? I'm 100% commenting <laughs> on how Mercedes fucked him last year. Just couldn't get that wheel not off and then couldn't get it and then retired the car because they couldn't get it off. Well, here's the big difference. He's not with Mercedes anymore. 
is not. And Alfa Romeo's pit stops this year have been pretty par. They've been exactly what you'd expect. They're not the quickest. Red Bull still is the quickest pit stops in the game. But Alfa Romeo's are sitting there between 2.6 to 3 seconds on average. And which is absolutely acceptable. Which is right where you want it. And Monaco being the track it is, it's probably going to be a two-stop race. I don't think we will see a three-stop. We need to wait and see how these tyres will go. Yeah. Do you reckon we'll see the hards out this weekend? Yeah, we I'd say so. I'd say that would be the final tyre you finish on. Yep. That, and if the hard's good... They may even they, start on it. And they get running on it, we may see a one-stopper from a few of the teams, but I think every team will have three strategies going into this. Plan A better be a two, would be a two-stopper, plan B, one-stop, plan C, three-stop. With the new Q2 tyre situation we got going on, I could see them starting out on hard tyres and then trying to... Sprint towards the end. So I, st- I still don't reckon the teams have their head wrapped around tyres, how they're degrading, how they're heating up and all that. So if you can just put them on and then maybe yeah, do softs at the end or mediums halfway through and then try not do a two-stop. Because it'll all come down to the tyre deg and the long runs on free practice. Interesting with free practice too. I know we just did all our facts, but this is the only race where they have a free practice on a Thursday. No, not this year. They scrapped that for this year. Oh, did they really? Damn, well, that (laughs) that supplied for forever. They used to do practice on a Thursday, do nothing on a Friday, and then qualify Saturday, race Sunday. Supports for Friday. Were? Were Friday, but now it's F1s on Friday. Okay. Well, that makes it a lot easier for watching. Yep. Safety cars guaranteed. Um, no, not necessarily. I reckon it is this year. I think virtual safety cars guaranteed, not necessarily the safety car. Oh, no, that's a good point. Well, when I said safety car, I was kind of just saying, like, we're going to see portions of this race done either at a Delta or behind a car. Yeah, I, f- I feel like with the small surface, they'd nearly do a safety car with the... Unless there's no debris somehow... They're going to be chucking the safety car out. Well, they've had two races around Monaco that they didn't have a safety car in. Only two in its history. Don't ask me to quote them off the top of my head. One of them is recent, isn't it? Yeah, it was only like two Two or three years ago. Two years ago, maybe. Yep. We're definitely... It's not going to be full pace the whole whole Grand Prix. It's just... It's Monaco. People do fatigue. People make little mistakes. And it is such a punishing track. And And just remember Mazepin last year. He asked, uh, his race engineer asked him to make one adjustment. He was like, mate, it's Monaco. I can't do it. It's all, yeah, that also speaks a lot more about <laughs> every other driver on the grid. Yeah, and also a lot about Mazepin's cognitive ability behind the wheel <laughs> of the car. I'm also saying that we're going to see a bit of a science resurgence this weekend. I think Carlos will be on the podium. Yeah, because Carl, uh, Charles will crash out and give it to him. <laughs> Look, and if not, if not, he does have a very good record here. I know he is struggling with the car, but he just seems to click at Monaco well. I don't think he'll win it, but I definitely see him getting up on the step and having that little bit of a, okay, I'm feeling better about everything that's going on at the moment. And then I've also written down here that my most likely crashes for the weekend will be Stroll, Latifi, and Mick. You reckon Mick over Charles? Yeah, yeah, I do this weekend. Um, And that's, one, because Stroll just isn't the most competent driver on the track. He's, I'd say, out of the 20 we have on the grid, he's the least skilled. Well, remember what I say about Formula 1. It's 19 of the world's greatest drivers, Boss Lance Stroll. (laughs) It's true. Um, I just hope that we don't have to watch 
any useless footage of him this year like we did last year, which was the one battle that happened at All of Monaco and they cut to Stroll bouncing over a curb. I it, I think he's likely to make a mistake and not go out Latifi just because he has that record as well. And there's no margin for error, so there's a good chance he puts it in the wall. Yep. Those two cars suck as well. And they, I can they're see hard them, to drive. Yeah, I could see them being unbalanced and just hitting one curb and then just losing into another wall. Exactly. And I've... I don't know. Mick, I know I said that I could see them both being in the top 10, but if there are crashes... I just have a really bad feeling that whenever Mick's involved in an incident, it's normally because he's hit someone or someone's hit yeah. him. I could see him hitting like that, not crashing into a wall, but hitting someone or at, or someone closing the door or, or something around those lines. Yeah, and just causing a bit of an issue there. I do, I do genuinely believe that Charles will have a bit of a redemption story this weekend with it. All right, let's move on to what each of us have picked for this round. So... Riso, why don't you begin us this Me, week? I want Andy to start. I reckon he's been doing a little tire strat. He's in front and he just hears what we have and just kind of calls. You know what? There. That's a good point. Andy, <laughs> we're not saying you're cheating because the FIA says we can't say you're cheating, but there is definitely some form of this advantage you have. You just sound like all the Lewis whingers now. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm kind of understanding his perspective when I'm being beaten unfairly <laughs> as I am. I'm not beating you unfairly. I'm he just... Picking better. I think he's on steroids. I think he's. How can being on steroids help you make five picks and I'm picking at luck? Because steroids make everything better. <laughs> well, Formula <laughs> Bums does not endorse the, endorse the use of steroids. I do. Before we even, <laughs> before we even get into it, get I massive made, king. I made <laughs> an executive decision as not only the championship leader, <laughs> but also to help you oh, to. There's no advantage. I've decided to change things yet again. No, this is going to help you too. All right, what is it? I'm going to give bonus points this weekend because I am the commissioner of this, I feel. <laughs> uh, all right, fuck it. What do you got for us? If you can, in your top five, you can also predict whether Charles finishes or not. And they'll give you two points if you're correct. Okay. Is that fair? Yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah, I'm cool. As long, Look, I'm cool with it now, but if something goes wrong and he gets seriously hurt, this is going to sound fucking horrific with listening back to it. I know. All right, what's your top five, Andy, and what's your Charles prediction? Well, my Charles prediction is he is going to crash out. Okay, well, I'm going to pick opposite that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> no, I think it's just my. So when, when he crashes out, it's going to be really funny. Where do you think he's going to crash out? I don't know. He's going to crash out somewhere on Monaco. Do you reckon he's he's got 3.34 kilometers of a track. He can crash anywhere on it. It doesn't <laughs> matter where. But top five, I've got Max in one. Yep. I'm going to go Sainz in second. Russell in third, fourth will be Hamilton, and bringing up the rear of the top five, we got the nice ass of Valtteri Bottas. I like it. I like it. Well, we should do Dave's. Dave hasn't sent his in, so this week I'm <laughs> going to pick for Dave, and Dave's choices this week are strolling first. <laughs> He's not getting any fucking points this week. Uh, it'll be Joe in second. We'll have Mick in third, Magnussen in fourth. There's his kick here. He might get something for that. And we will say Yuki in fifth. That's Dave's picks for the week. Wow. Last time we picked for him, we did really, really well. So now I'm really trying this to throw is, Yeah. Imagine if... yeah, it, And we had Stroll in that too. Imagine if it rains out, the top pack just crash out and Dave just comes in screaming. 
I tell you what, though, if it is... Does Charles Clarash out for Dave, though? Yes. Fair enough. For me, this weekend, I've put Max out in number one. Checo in second. I Fuck! Yes, you've already said yours. <laughs> Checo in second. Sainz in third. Russell and then Bottas. Interesting. I have put... Oh, Max- and Charles does not crash. Charles makes it, and he comes... I didn't even put him in my fucking top five. <laughs> <laughs> Just hedging your bets. He comes too bad. You've said it now. Yeah, he comes eighth. I have put Max first. Yep. I think we've all gone Max first. I have put Lewis second. It's not crazy. It's not crazy. It's not crazy I'm, anymore. I'm no. just throwing. I thought it'd be a curveball. If it works, it works. Um, third is Leclerc. Yep. Um, Russell is fourth. Yep. And then Signs is fifth. I like it. I'm going to do really poorly this week now that I forgot Checo. I hope so. I really, really hope you do poorly this week, Andy. You're going to be so mad if I rock up on Monday and I've fucking got every single one, aren't you? No. No, I'll be more mad. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be mad, but not as mad as Dave gets points this weekend. That's what will really make me mad. He's in last by a considerable margin. Yeah, but with what I've suggested for him. If that comes true, that's what will make me mad. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, I think that's everything we have for this weekend. So, as usual, if you haven't already, please reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. We're at Formula Bums on Instagram and Facebook and Discord. And on Twitter, we are at Bums Formula. Also, if you haven't and you've been listening to us for more than a few weeks and you have decided that this is something that's going to become regular for you, we would really, really appreciate it if you could leave us a rating or a review on whatever software you're listening to us on. That is the number one thing that helps this show grow and helps us move in the right direction and build this community that we want to be a part of. Also, we still have places open for our own internal tipping comp. So if you haven't yet, please shoot us an email to formulabums at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media and we can link up that way too. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We love doing this. We hope you enjoy the show. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. G'day and welcome to Formula Bums. And today we are... <laughs> fuck that Why didn't you talk into the mic when you fucked it? I don't know. You don't laugh into the mic. What was happening in Monaco is at, at that turn Spanish four, GP. So at the Spanish GP. Guan Yu Zhou. Oh, sorry. I always do I'm doing the coffee now. Actually, speaking of, on air, they just say straight up on the joke. They don't even try. <laughs>